welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. What is going on, everybody? We are back with episode two of Radical Math Talk, the podcast of the revolutionaries of math education. I'm your host, Kwame Salfamensa. And if this is your first time tuning in to our newest addition to the Danny Talk podcast family, we welcome you to some math talk. And we hope that you come back for more. Uh, if you are a returning listener or viewer of this podcast, we welcome you back, and we hope that today's conversation is one that you find enlightening, informative, and insightful. Uh, but before we get into the main conversation, uh, just a reminder for folks that are on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button so you can get notifications on future episodes of both the Radical Math Talk podcast and our original podcast, I Dane Talk for Educators Live. And we also are accepting donations for those who want to contribute to the growth of this podcast and overall platform. So if you're on Cash App, you can hit us up at uh, money sign ID Talk for Ed. If you're on Venmo, you can hit us up at Kwame SM. Uh, thank you kindly. And yeah, today's episode is going to be all about how we merge mathematics with hip-hop culture, which is something that I am extremely passionate about. If you've watched previous episodes of the other podcasts, I talk a lot about hip-hop. I grew up on hip-hop. Um, it's in my blood, and it's something that I feel could be a powerful medium for enriching um, math instruction and taking it to another level. So I have here a sister who is doing the work uh, she is more than a lyricist. She's an edutainer. Uh, she is a math advocate. She is somebody who really believes in the power of building confidence in our math learners through the medium of hip hop. Uh, so, yeah, without further ado, let, let's bring her on. So I have Kaziah Finney, who's going to talk with us about Lyrical Math. She's going to talk to us about just all the great work she's doing, and it's going to be a great episode. So let's let's get it in. Hello. <laughs> Good to be here with you. All right. Awesome. But yeah, it's just so much more to talk about. But um, before we get to the main the main things we want to discuss, I like to start off by having our guests share what we call the mathography. So in this section, we're just having people just share their math journey. Uh, from the beginning, all the way up to 
where they are now, how they've grown with math, the ups and downs, those pivotal moments, you know, things like that. So, yeah, share with us kind of how math came to your life and what your relationship with it is now. So I would say in middle school, I gained a strong interest from math. I had a teacher who uh, let me know I was really good in math, uh, so much so. His name's Mr. Herbert. Um, what he did was he allowed me to help him grade papers in class. So I would finish the work early and he would say, hey, come up here and help me grade these papers. And then he allowed me to um, calculate the student's grade. So that was the first time I understood how you get the grade average. And the fact that he put that task in my hand, it built my confidence in math. And so that pretty much is where I can remember my journey starting with math. Um, in middle school, my mom, she also had a gift shop in Chester, Pennsylvania. And so I would work with her at the register. And I was you know, responsible for taking orders for different clients. And that gave me an insight on money, which we all love. Um, so just having that experience uh, also increased my interest for math. Um, following that, I just really love math and science uh, all through middle school and high school. I ended up going to college for undergrad for biology pre-med. Uh, my initial goal was to be a pediatrician. And uh, that goal came about because I had a love for children and I had a love for math and science. But at a young age, I gained an understanding that teachers didn't make any money. So um, I thought to myself, well, how could I work with children and still use the love of math and science? So I said, I'll be a pediatrician. Uh, so then once I got to college in my third year, uh, we had to dissect the frog and the process freaked me out um, so much to the point I said, this is not for me. Um, no, <laughs> no. Like, if I can't handle this, <laughs> med school is not my lane at all. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, and, and I won't go into detail about what was so, so strange about it, but it was tough. It was really tough. It was beyond the dissecting process. Um, so once that happened, um, we were dealing with a live frog and then we had to, yeah. So uh, that freaked me out. And so once that happened, I started to wrap my head around, okay, what can I do with this degree? Um, and once I got out of college, I ended up becoming a math teacher in Chester, Pennsylvania, where I was born. And once I got into it, I mean, I knew from the jump, I'm like, you know what? I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I knew that's what I love to do. I was just nervous about what people were always saying. Teachers didn't make any money. You don't want to do that. <laughs> so I was like, well, I have to find another way. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> once, I, <laughs> once I got into it, I was like, I love it. This is what I love to do. This is what I wanted to do the whole time. Um, and I've been with it ever since. So it was really cool to jump into teaching. Um, it came natural. Uh, I love the students that I was working with, and it, it's, it's been going from there. So at this point, I'm in my 20th year of teaching. You said 20? Yes, you're 20. You look, shoot, you look younger than me, man. <laughs> Black really don't crack now. <laughs> Listen, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'll tell you. But I, I see parallels um, in our journeys because for me, 
you know, I was a math major in college. And what's funny is I was actually next door. I don't know if it's next door Philly, but I went to Temple uh, University. So I spent a lot of time, you know, in that area. That's like my second home. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who were from Chester. I had friends, you know, who are from, you know, other parts just outside the greater Philly area. So I know a little bit about Chester. Uh Um, Uh But what is interesting is I didn't have dreams of being a teacher growing up. Like I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to go into the NFL. I wanted to go into the NBA. But then you get to high school and you realize, you know, at 5'10", a buck 60, chances Mm -hmm. are you're not going to make it there with those (laughs) With those metrics, so time for different career move. Yep, let's go a different direction uh, with our career path. So, um, I think for me, I spent a lot of time mentoring and you know tutoring young people. So middle school students, elementary school students, high school, all the levels, and I really enjoyed it uh, throughout my undergrad. And then you know once I graduated. Like you, I was trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to best utilize this math degree because mm-hmm. I wasn't one that was really into finance. I wasn't one that was really into engineering or mm-hmm. the other fields that you can marry with math, right? Right. So I just thought, well, I love kids. I love mm-hmm. math. I might as well just become a math teacher. How and Yeah. And I wasn't even thinking about the money aspect of it. I just knew right. that I had a love for for the work and that's what has kept me in it. So now I'm in year 15 overall in mm. education. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I love it just as much as I did back then. Right. That's, that's passion. That goes to show that's what you were called to do. Yeah, for sure. So at what point did you move from Chester to uh, Delaware where you are right now? Uh, you mean move as far as like just where I ended up living or yeah, teaching? yeah, end up living, yeah, in general. Oh, so my family, um, so I'm the youngest of five, so I have four older brothers, only girl. And um, so when I was about two or three years old, my family initially moved from Chester PA to Delaware. And so it was a lot of crime and things going on. My dad, he had a row home, um, and then he was renting out a row home at Chester. So he ended up selling both and we moved to Delaware, Newcastle. And so um, we went from predominantly black environment to being one of the only three black families in a brand new neighborhood. So, I mean, culture shock and yeah. it was a lot. It was a lot yeah. going on to shift there. So um, I was here in Delaware until I want to say my second year in college, I ended up moving back to Chester for a small window of time and then we moved back to Delaware, but uh, the majority of my family is there. And my mom, she had a gift shop there as well. So throughout elementary and middle school, I would go to school and then after school, I would go to Chester to um, help my mom run her shop. So that's cool. pretty much how, how the living experience looked. <laughs> All right, that's what's up. That's what's yep. up. All right. So we have some context around your math journey. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to move on to the second segment, which is show your work. So okay. with the show your work section, it's all about those receipts. So you already have yes. some receipts, you know, being an edutainer. 
Um, and I call this show your work because as math teachers, we want it, we want our students to show what they know. Right. Don't just, right. Come, don't just, don't just come with us with the answer now. Right. Can't you say we got well. answer from? What's your thought <laughs> process? How did you get there? Because if you don't if you don't show me that evidence, mm-hmm. I'm gonna assume that you probably got the answer for somebody else. So right. I need to know what you know. So now right. We want you to just share those receipts because you're doing some phenomenal work in the community. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, hip hop, specifically rap music, because hip hop, we have all the elements and we're not going to get into all of them, but specifically we're talking about rapping. Um, I want to know from you, when did you fall in love with rapping, with MC? Like, where did that come from? Um... And I know that's that's a really good question because it's not common to have a female that uh, raps, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've been um I've been an MC since I was in about fifth grade, actually. And um, like I said earlier, I have four older brothers. Out of four of them, three of them rap. And so I came up in the time frame where it was like you had to write your own rhymes um you had to know how to freestyle you had to know how to battle rap um you had to know how to put hooks together 16 bars yes from top to bottom had to be thorough you couldn't fill in the blanks with uh uh uh-huh like <laughs> you couldn't do a whole bar. <laughs> you couldn't do a whole bar of that and then didn't say two words so you know I came up in a different era um and you had to have bars you know as they say now um so what's interesting is my brothers they took rapping serious from making beats to writing rhymes we would have house parties um with and it was like neighborhood battles like different crews from different neighborhoods my mom and my dad, they would open up the basement. And I mean, it would be people down there. Today, you would imagine it would have turned into a fight. I mean, maybe once or twice it did turn into a fight. But <laughs> here I was, like 10, 11 years old, um, you know, in the middle of these crowds of like high school kids downstairs right. battle rapping. And um, I wrote rap. You know, I had a rap. It was like my nickname was Kiza. Um, people thought it was easier to say Kiza than say Kaziah. So that was the nickname. So I had a rap. It's like, my name is Kiza. They call me Kaziah. Every time I rhyme, I take you a little higher. Like, I just remember that intro. So, oh. <laughs> but my, my brothers, they were like, and I guess that's where a lot of my confidence came from to just hit a stage, you know, and even it helped me with teaching because they were like, yo, you're going to spit that rap. Like, you're going to get down there and you're going to rap. Like, that was the only way I could join the party is if I was willing to battle rap somebody in high school. It was crazy, you know. So um, just being surrounded by music. Uh, my mom, she was in the gospel choir. My grandpa, grandma was in the gospel choir. My uncle was in the gospel choir. They had They had gospel bands. I mean, it was serious. Like, so everywhere I went, it was just music. My cousin was a producer. A few of my other cousins rapped. So for me, growing up, music was just a norm. Um, 
I was the only female in my family, like from cousins and on up that rapped, but I embraced it. And um, so as I got to middle school, there was talent shows. Um, I would get in those talent shows and a couple of them I was just kind of pushed into, like my friends just was like, go. I was like, oh, right. Um, and I think that made a huge difference because it was one thing to, you know, rap with people that my brothers knew or, you know, join some type of local talent show or whatever. But like to do it in front of your peers that you literally have to see every day at school, like that was another that was just like what. So I, wow. I literally remember sitting in the back of an auditorium. The auditorium was packed and so me and my friends we came in late and we had to sit on a on a table in the back and whoever the presenter was it was for black history month um he was like we have anybody out here that's rappers i think i was in eighth grade at the time and i wasn't going budge i'm like no you know and my friend literally pushed me into the aisle so everyone's seated at this point but me in the middle of the aisle and the guy was like Hey, come on to the stage. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, she didn't just do this to me. No, she didn't wow. just do this to me. So I hit the hit the stage and it just so happened I had a black history rap that I wrote and um the crowd like loved it. So I think that moment for me, like my peers accepted me. Um and me ha- just being bored. I won't say bold enough, being pushed to have to be bold enough to hit that stage with my peers. It was a turning point for me as far as being able to just take math, uh, take my music to another level, you know. But I never personally uh, wanted to be famous. Like, I mm-hmm. never was the I never was the aspiring rapper. I never was like, yo, I'm going to hit the charts. I'm going to be, the, I never was that person. I just like making music. So, yeah, I just like making music. I I made it where I could. You know, if it was somewhere to go and share what I was doing, I went and did it. But I never had a big goal of like, I'm going to drop this album. It's going to go platinum. I was never that person. (laughs) Hey, that's that's what's up, though. But it's funny, as you're talking about it reminds me of this show that I've been watching with my wife called mm. Karma's World. Mm. Uh, okay. It's actually a show created by Ludacris and his daughter. Wow. And the main character, Karma, is an MC. She's like in third or fourth grade. And every episode, she stays freestyling and rhyming about different themes and topics. It's actually pretty cool wow, and like educational. You got to check that out. You'll probably that's see some parallels nice. there. Uh, for sure. Karma's World. Okay. Um, yep, on Netflix. Wow. And then um, the other part, too, is, see, I'm, I'm approaching my 40s, so I grew up in that era where there are a lot of, you know, women MCs, like the MC mm-hmm. Lights, Queen Latifah's, Roxanne Shantae's right, of the world. So right. That's, like, the era that I'm coming out of where, yeah, like, there are a lot of dope female MCs. Right, and, right. You know, so it didn't feel like a foreign concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like there was like a gap. There were some gaps from that time up until now, where like, 
you know, you have the Meg the Stallions, the Rhapsodies, and you know, right. Cardi B who you know they do their thing. But I feel right. like that's evolved over time. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, but what's amazing about emceeing and rapping, it's like teaching and emceeing are very similar if you think they about are. it. Like right. you come into the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, like Brock Kim says, MC, you got to move the crowd. The crowd is your students. Right, right. The bars are your lesson plans. Those are your bars. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and sometimes if the bars aren't, if if the kids aren't responding to the bars in a certain way, you got to call an audible. You got to have plan B, plan C. That's improvisation, and that's an important skill that you have to have, especially when, like, if you're freestyling, you're off the dome. You got to know when to go a different direction if you're not getting a certain response, if you're not listening to a certain response from uh, the student. So I feel like a lot of those skills are very much transferable to the craft of teaching. Very true. Yeah. Just even... um even being able to present yourself in front of a group, you know, and like, regardless of what you might be thinking, like I've been in, you know, different rap battles and things of that nature. And you can't, you can't show a certain emotion in a rap battle. Like that's just not going to happen. It just eats you up. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, you know, same way students can just eat us up. Like if you walk in a classroom and you look like you lack confidence, um, or even if you look like you're not prepared, you better act like you're prepared. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of that. I, I agree with you. That is parallel to teaching. No, very, very, very much so. Very much mm. so. And of course, I don't like. I can't. I can't rap to say my life. I might give you a good four bar round and then that's it. Can't go no further. I might, I might just end up being like a lot of these rappers that just use that same word for, you know what I mean? 10 straight uh, bars. And it's like, right. <laughs> it'd be like, that's dope. Right? <laughs> and you're like, it's not man. That wasn't dope at all. Yeah. And listen, like, and it's not to throw shade. I'm not throwing shade at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. trap music, like, auto-tune, like, all these things that we see now, it's part mm-hmm. of the evolution of the culture. So you embrace right. it. But I know for me, I'm very much, I'm very passionate about, you know, the old school, like, 90s, early 2000s. Like, I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. it because it felt like at that time, there was more um, creativity. There was more innovation. I felt like the subject matter mattered a lot more back yeah. then uh, compared mm-hmm. to now. You know, once again, no shade at current artists. Mm-hmm. You know, they're pushing the culture to a different level, and mm-hmm. it helps. But you know, I mm-hmm. I have my preferences. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I believe back then it was, um, I want to say people were more intentional with what they decided to put out. Like it seemed as though there was a grandma somewhere holding them accountable for the words that came out of their mouth years ago. You get what I'm saying? Like (laughs) 
they might talk a little slick on the album in some fashion, but you had to drop some jewels, some words of wisdom that at least, you know, the folks that you came from would be like, you know what? I, I see what you did there. At least you did that. At least you shared that good word right there or something. There had to be a message. I felt like there was more of a responsibility to give a message and where now it seems more of, I just want to get stuff off my chest. So I feel like um, the purpose in the microphone, using a microphone for rap has opened up now more for uh, just, I just want to get stuff off my chest or these are just my thoughts kind of conversation. Not to say we didn't do that years ago. Sure. But it's not really about how am I impacting the community when I open my mouth on this mic. You know, that's, you'll hear more people now say, um, I'm not your kid's role model. Like, it's just more of a common saying with rappers, like, I'm not responsible for raising your kids. That's your job. I say what I say. If they hear it, they hear it. Where I don't, I don't feel like we heard that as much years ago you know what I mean and like like you said no shade but I just feel like no the common uh perspective of what to rap about or what to share is definitely different yeah yep and it's gonna continue to evolve over time like right yeah. now where we have you know these phases that we're going through and maybe 10 years from now it's gonna be something totally different we're gonna right? compare generations to past generations so this is always going to happen in mm -hmm. hip-hop that's that's not yeah. going to change anytime soon. right yeah um but let's talk about how hip-hop as a medium can be used to elevate our pedagogy as teachers right mm -hmm. so in recent years you know hip-hop pedagogy has become more of a thing that people mm -hmm. want to learn more about uh, shout mm -hmm. to uh, Dr. Chris Emden, you know, hip hop mm -hmm. ed, you know, what right. they do, and uh, many others who are part of that movement. So, within the context of math, I, I want to know from your perspective what are the benefits of using hip hop as a medium for alleviating math anxiety? Because we know that's something that we talk mm -hmm. about all the time. Yeah. But also, developing more confident math learners. How how does hip hop help in that regard? So hip hop, as we know, it's one of the only genres that is very centered on confidence. So mm. this is a, this is a genre where I mean you can get people on the microphone that are like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the hottest, I'm the best. I mean it's very common, right? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, everybody is talking about how dope they are, how hot they are, how real they are, um, how fly they are, you know. And so hip hop promotes confidence, which I thought was really powerful to connect it to um, math, you know. So, for instance, there's a song that we have on our Lyrical Math Part 1 CD. It's called You Know Me. And it basically goes over the times tables from two to six. And so when I wrote it, I wrote it with the ideal of hip hop and confidence. So the bars before you get to the times tables, like, you know me, I'm at the top of my class. 
I'm so nice and precise with my math. They want to hear my threes. 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 Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 27, 30, 33, 36. Stop, breathe, pause, set it off. So, you know, just in saying that, whether you believe you're at the top of the class or not, <laughs> if you say that enough, you know, words are powerful. Um, and speaking life is is a real thing. I, it doesn't matter what type of ideology you come from, spiritual awakening or just belief system, you know, speaking positive is powerful. And yes. so um, in all of our lyrical math songs, what I've done is wrote the music to incorporate um, self-confidence. Um, so it's not only teaching the math concept or the math formula, but somewhere in the bars, you're going to hear like, I'm good at this. I know how to do this. I do this very well. And so that's why I think hip hop um, can really help with uh, merging with math, because most of the time you don't you don't hear people talk about social studies as much as like someone's like, oh, how good are you with social studies? You don't hear people say, oh my gosh, I suck at social studies. Like that's just sure. not my thing. You know, like no one really talks about social studies. But math is is that content that people are like, either I excel at it or this is just not my thing. So when I when I get initially started making these songs, I went from you know, being an educator that had a background in writing raps um, to having math classes and realizing my students lack confidence and they were bored with the traditional style of teaching right. that I was, I was required to provide through the curriculum that the school gave me to implement. Um, I decided, hey, let me just make a rap song up about what I need to teach you. And hopefully that'll get you hyped. Hopefully that'll get you engaged. And then hopefully that'll help you master the skill and it worked, you know? So I would just continue to do that. And sometimes the students like, you, Ms. Finn, you got to rap about that? Like, <laughs> like they're like, can you, write, can you make a rap for, for this? Like, you know, I'm introducing it. Like, can you just make a rap for it? I'm like, okay, I'll make, I'll make a rap for it, you know? And they enjoyed that strategy. So that let me know that students, you know, they want to see something familiar, especially when you're dealing with something you don't like. If by chance math is something that you don't like. Um, mm -hmm. Hip hop is one of the most popular genres. I think it's so ironic how, you know, hip hop went from this this genre that's like, oh, my gosh, hip hop is horrible. You know, it's promoting all this bad stuff. When it first came out, you know, people were trying to give it a bad name. To now, it's in households all across the world. I mean, in every socioeconomic class, <laughs> exactly. you can find hip hop. <laughs> right. It's hilarious, you know? Uh, you have people that they don't even live those lifestyles and they are like, what, what, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Rapping these songs. Crazy. Right. So it was, um, it was, it was, it's just amazing that it happened. You know. Yeah, but I think that but the biggest consumers of the culture are white folks who live in affluent neighborhoods, which is the crazy know. part. Who would have thought? I mean, you know, just thinking <laughs> that the history of hip hop. <laughs> ironic, right? It's so ironic. ironic. You know, so um, 
it just goes to show like it's a powerful genre and many people like it because it gives them confidence. So to take a genre of music um, and piece it with math, thought that was a great idea. Plus repetition helps. So mm -hmm. music provides repetition. Um, having, you know, something repeated to you over and over and over again, eventually it's going to stick. So just taking all of those elements, piecing them together for a concept that so many people are struggling to master. I just thought it was cool. Now I want to stay on the pedagogy piece for a second because mm -hmm. this is what's coming to my mind. So you're an MC, mm -hmm. teacher, doing her thing. You're getting kids to understand the math in ways that they may not have understood it before. Now, over the course of your 20 years in this teaching game, mm -hmm. have you ever received any kind of pushback from, I don't know, administrators or evaluators who are very much keen on maintaining the traditional way that we do teaching? Because yeah. I'm sure you're doing all these yeah. incredible things, and then you look at your evaluation, and it's like, hold up. How am I unsatisfactory when these kids are understanding what I'm saying? That's the goal, right? Why is it so uh, much about how I'm doing it? Isn't the goal to get them to understand, to understand. the concepts? Have and you ever had that tension? Definitely, definitely. And um, I've been in some schools, especially priority schools, where you know the state is highly monitoring the school. Most of the schools I've been in were Title One schools uh, for the majority of my teaching uh, experience thus far. And so some of them are, as they call, under the red and they're being watched. And so the curriculums that they have in place, what I found is a lot of the administrators, they would tell me, you know, when we walk in your room, we just want you to teach that. We just need you to just stick to the curriculum because if somebody from the state walks in we need to be able to tell them exactly what you're doing. And they need to be able to look in a book that they provided for this school and say, oh, she's doing that. So it was a lot of pressure to just check these boxes. You know, everybody have these boxes that they want to check to say, you're doing great as a teacher. And unfortunately, I'm sure you experienced this as an educator. You know, we see things in a class with our particular group of students that we have at that window of time and we see their needs that an administrator or someone on the district level they can't see them because you're not dealing with my particular group of students right right um and so you know as educators like you said you got to make those impromptu decisions and know when to switch it up like okay this isn't working <laughs> you know i'm following the script i'm following the curriculum that you provided but um, I got like seven kids sleep right now. So <laughs> I need to I need to kick this up a notch. You know, I can keep going. We got like 60 minutes left, but they're bored. You know, wow. so it, it's those moments where um I just had to make, you know, sometimes you just have to make those decisions. And I'm sure you've been in those in those places where you're like, I know you gave me this script, but I gotta go off script for my learners. This is not working, you know. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, there's many times as teachers and I just wish more teachers had uh, the freedom, you know, they hire us to do these jobs 
but I wish we had more freedom to go off script. Um, they, they, they trusted us more to go off script um, and, and didn't you know, penalize us when we go off script as much. So yeah, I've definitely been in that position. Um, I've had uh, a few different scenarios. I mean, for, for most part, it's been embraced, you know, um, but I've had, I've been in a school where like I was one of say like three math teachers on a team, a grade level team. And the guy that was working next to me, he was, when I say traditional, he was like just straight to the book, quiet. I talk, you listen, I talk, you listen. And that was hard. And, and here I am next door making all this noise, kids making beats, like. Right. <laughs> so I would get calls from admin and like, can you please uh, reduce the noise because it's disrupting the teacher next door. Da, 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 da. So it's like, how do you try to, you know, limit what you know is effective to fit in the environment that you're required to be in like that challenge right there oh my god mm. oh now this is getting good this is getting really good so <laughs> check, so check this out so when i look at different schools or districts mm-hmm. i look at them in the same way as record companies, record labels, right? Okay. So a lot of our favorite artists over time, they mm-hmm. have stories about how they weren't getting their masters, right? They had stories about how the record company wanted them to release this single because, or to sound a certain way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a parallel here with teaching where you go into these different schools, these different districts, and it's like they don't want to embrace who you are authentically mm-hmm. as a facilitator, right. as um, an instructional expert. Mm-hmm. They want you to just stick to the script because that's what people are used to. That's what um, evaluators want to see. Mm-hmm. That's what the teacher education programs teach pre-service candidates who are about to enter the classroom. They wanted to stick to that formula. Mm -hmm. And so you decided to go independent. (laughs) (laughs) Start your own label. You feel me? Uh, With with the lyrical math. Um, Yeah. You um, and your husband, of course, Uh, shout out Mm -hmm. to your husband. I know he played a huge role. So let's talk about lyrical math. Let's also talk about, um, uh, JFIN TV studios as well as a whole. Okay. So what inspired y'all to start the lyrical math program and how exactly did the concept come about to, to start, to start this? That's a great question. So my husband, James Finney, uh, he went to Wilmington University and he majored in studio production, digital filmmaking. That was his bachelor's degree. So he had a senior project that was coming up where he had to make a five minute video. And at this point in time, I was teaching math to a seventh grade group of students in Chester, Pennsylvania. And just having a conversation with him at home about what he was working on, we collaborated and decided that I would be a part of the video and I would do um, 
a lesson about adding integers. So in this five minute video, I was teaching, uh, you could see me as the teacher and I'm also the student. So two different outfits, playing two different roles. And you see a, teach, a student that's bored and then I come in as the teacher and I show them a rap for adding integers, the student gets engaged and then they do better in the concept. So I teach the math strategy for adding integers. And I said, um, if the signs are the same, keep it, add that. If they're different, take the bigger one, subtract that. So that was the basis of explaining how to add integers. So in this process, once he gets the video done, he submits it for a grade for a senior project. Coincidentally, I'm getting ready to teach adding integers. So I said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna show this video to my students. So I said, you know what? Let me give them a pretest to see how much they already know. Showed them the five minute video, gave them the post test. And I had three different groups. They had my students split up by uh, low, mid and high achievers. And when we graded, when I graded everything, the data came back with a 61.7% increase in comprehension. Wow. And this was before I even taught the lesson. So this was all based off of a five-minute video. Um, so pre-test, five-minute video, then post-test, and 61.7% increase. So at that point, um, you know, the that's where lyrical math got started. We started, we had this conversation. I'm like, oh my gosh, like these kids increased their comprehension just with this song, just through a five-minute video. And um, he said, well, you know, how many people do you want to help? And I said, as many as we can. <laughs> so, <laughs> at this point, you know, so at one point he said, well, and he was, he was um, in school and working. So he went to go to work, like, I think like the next morning, he went to go to work and before he left, he said, you know, you got all these math songs in your head that you've made up over the years of teaching that every time, you know, we're going out to supermarkets and stuff you're running into former students they're like oh I remember you taught me this song and they and they still can rap the song like in a supermarket and he said you know how many of those songs do you have and I was like I don't know so he was like he said write them out and show them to me when I get back home from work so, okay so I wrote out the songs when he got home I showed it to him I had nine songs he said all those songs been stuck in your head all this time he said we write one more song. We got an album. I'm like, album? There you go. <laughs> so I wrote one more song. And, you know, with his background in studio production, digital filmmaking, he knew the ins and outs of, you know, having to uh, piece together, you know, cover art and everything. And he did the research to figure out, okay, how can we get this printed up and, and have a bunch of CDs? Before you know it, we had a CD. Then it was like, well, we need a student workbook. You know, they need worksheets to go with the CD. Then, okay, we need a teacher guidebook. We need, you know, we just started building this product. Um, we partnered with uh, some teachers, partnered with teachers and editors to make sure, you know, everything was legit. I wrote, I wrote everything out, had them cross-check. And um, then, you know, we added a resource assessment book. Um, got research-based. We ended up creating a digital um, instructional video series. So we literally went 
to a studio and recorded me teaching each page of the book that we created so that those that had the book, whether they were in a school or whether they were homeschooling, they could purchase the book and then cue in online at lyricalmathonline.com to have me literally teach them. Um, so it just grew. It just grew. Next thing you know, we had t-shirts, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Wow. And, and that was the start. Yeah, that's how it all started. Wow, man, that's amazing. That is amazing. And now I know that you're doing a lot of uh, pop-up math classes mm -hmm. uh, right now, just going to different schools, different organizations uh, to mm -hmm. spread this great work, yeah. right? So I'm wondering, how has that transition from being in the classroom to now traveling to different schools and organizations to do these classes help preserve your love for teaching? So the interesting part about it is it's just reminding me of how many different learners we have out here. Mm -hmm. You know, typically when you're a classroom teacher, you're dealing with a certain body of students from a certain location. Um, they have a lot of shared experiences. You know, of course, not all of them, but, you know, there's, there's typically a lot of shared experiences with the students in each school. Um, but now that we're able to pop up anywhere and I'm able to see students from all different walks of life all the time. Um, and it's given me a greater understanding and of what, of who's coming to the classroom and the different approaches to math. Like you have your students that show up that's checked out for personal reasons. Um, you know, you have students that show up that they come from families that have a bunch of resources and they've learned so much and they have access to tutors and all these different, you know, resources that can make sure that they excel in life. You have those different learners. And so with each of them comes different personalities, different hurdles that I have to go through to ensure that I can reach them with math, you know. Um, so it's helped me to reach more learners and know how to assist all kinds of students. Um, it's just brought in that opportunity. So um, I know we had we have a, had a partnership with uh, the Hope Center here in Newcastle, and that was developed during the pandemic. It became a homeless shelter. So for families that were homeless, um, uh, this place, yeah, they would they would have them, they could go to the uh, Hope Center. And so we partnered with them to, to provide math services for the students that were there. And when I tell you that was one of the most eye-opening moments because here I am coming in to provide students with 30 minute math lessons and their living situation is unstable. Right. You know, um, and to see some of them just walk in, just look down, and by the end of the math class, just 30 minutes, they're up like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it was, it was, it was awesome to, to know that we were able to bring 
a level of joy and excitement and confidence to students that are even in those situations that are displaced, you know? Um, and so what we were doing, pop-up math class came about during the pandemic. One day I just was like, James, you know, this is crazy. Parents are in this spot where they don't wanna send their children to, to school physically because of the pandemic, but they also are like, I'm not qualified to, to teach my own child every day and monitor them on these devices every day. You know, right. so these parents are in these weird, it's in a weird place because of the pandemic. So I said, James, you know what we could do? We could pop up at parks and we could just teach them in the park. It's outside. You could spread them all out. You know, everybody gets six feet distance on a mat and you know, I just bring the whiteboards out with the markers and we pull up with the music and he was like, he said, look, draw it out, draw it out. And ever since the first day we met, literally, um, we I've said, I said, vision sketch apply. So he held me accountable to that. I've held him accountable to that, the concept of vision sketch apply. You get a vision, sketch it out, then apply it. So he was like, sketch it out. You know, if that's your wow. vision, sketch it out. So I sketched it out, just a little drawing of our, of our SUV. And then he was sitting in a, in a driver's seat and I was standing between two whiteboards and I showed it to him. I said, this is what it looks like. He was like, yo, that could work. I see it. Okay. And we just ran with it. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, we started popping up at a county park and then the county executive uh, got in contact with us and he was like, look, I'm going to give you access to all four county parks um, and put you in contact with the people if you need bathroom access each time you arrive. We'll make sure you have that. We'll allocate the space and time for you. And we'll have someone on site to ensure everything goes as it needs to go. We were like, what? Wow. <laughs> so um, that's how it took off. And we just started doing pop-up math classes throughout the week. Um, so we we went from having two 30-minute classes. Sometimes the classes were so packed, we had three 30-minute classes back-to-back. -back. And we had a max of, I think, 10 students. Uh, sometimes we ended up with 15 students per class. They're all spread out within the park. Uh, the news came out. Uh, we ended up on, you know, in the newspaper on the front page. I mean, it was a big deal. The word spread, and it was great to know that we were able to fulfill a need that parents had. Um, <clears> and that's what many parents were thankful for. Like, you know, this is a relief. Like, I can bring my child here. I don't have to teach my child, but there's a certified math teacher that can teach my child and I can see what's going on. Um, I don't have to stick my child inside of a school building in, in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, this is a relief. And so we started it in the summer and then the demand was still there. So I went back to teaching um, September 2020, you know, just back to teaching where I was. And I was teaching in a day. And then at night, uh, as soon as I come home, I would switch out of my work clothes and put on like pop a math class clothing, put my jeans on, sneakers on, and we hit the park. And wow. that's what we did. <laughs> yeah. It was every day, back to back to back. Like, remember people are like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, I just love what I'm doing. It's, I, I enjoy it, you know. My husband was like, man, you like Batman up in this joint. Like, Real, <laughs> like switching your clothes and popping back out. Um, That's crazy. 
Yeah, that's how Papa Math class went. And then once it got cold, we switched to Papa Math Zoom classes. So I was working full time and then would come home, change clothes, and he would pop the camera up and everything. And then I would teach by Zoom. We, we sent parents uh, links, you know, Papa Math Zoom parties, we called it. And it was a party. It was a party. Um, and so we would we would do Papa Math Zoom parties. And so we still do those um, even now, you know, so it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's, it's, I love it. I love it. Oh, man, that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. So um, last question before we get to lightning round. So what is the what's the future of lyrical math? So I know you all focus on, I believe, elementary grades at this point, like basic math skills, like elementary. Mm -hmm. So we're basically third through eighth grade skills. So we start with multiplication and division, but we go all the way up to eighth grade skills. All right, cool. Yep. Is there any plans of expanding to maybe the high school grades? That and would be great. We don't, we're not shutting off that possibility at all. So, you know, as the ideas come, as the songs come, as the need increases, I mean, we're there to, you know, evolve into whatever's required, you know, that we see we could help with. Yeah, that's what's up, because it's something that is uh, very much needed in the math mm -hmm. space. And my hope is that more schools, more districts are open to looking at math pedagogy through a different lens that's mm -hmm. going to uh, benefit learners all over. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be so helpful. I mean, we have to at some point realize, and it should be an obvious at this point that the traditional style of teaching is not working. We don't have the scores in the U.S. to support that what we're doing is working. So right. they should entertain something new. You know. They should, but... <laughs> As the common saying goes, common sense isn't always common. So this yeah. is just another situation where that applies, right? <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's, it's definitely a need. So I hope, you know, folks that have the same mindset as you and I um, continue to push for this uh, shift and uh, people become more open-minded to allow, you know, hip-hop to play its part in education. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're about to approach the hour. So let's get into the lightning round to close okay. things off. So this is just a chance for people to get to know you outside of the classroom, um, okay. outside lyrical math. So we're gonna have a little bit of fun here with these okay. questions. All right, so favorite math concept to teach or learn mm -hmm. about? What's your favorite? Uh, I would say favorite math concept to teach is multiplying fractions. Definitely. Um, mainly because a lot of times, fractions seems to be a scary concept of math. You know, yeah. people, I don't do fractions. That's, oh, uh, oh, no, oh, no. You know, and then you should see the nervousness in the faces of the students when you talk about fractions. So I love to teach We have a song for multiplying fractions. And uh, so many times when I introduce that song, the students, they jump right into it. They get hyped, they're engaged, and it just makes it easier for them to learn multiplying fractions. So it's, it's great to see them go from, I don't want to deal with fractions to, 
please don't doubt me because I know what's happening. So my mixed numbers into improper fractions and they're excited, you know? <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, you read my mind. I was going to ask you if you included mixed numbers and improper fractions in that, that unit because that, that scares them just as much. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just that one part, that first step, yeah. All right, that's what's up. Um, most difficult math concept to teach or learn about either one um i would say statistics and probability mm. and what was what was interesting when i had to dive into that in my bachelor's program in undergrad um it was tough I had a really good teacher though but it was tough but i loved it that was that was the part about it it was difficult but I love learning about statistics and probability. It's actually my favorite math concept to, to uh, work on. Ah, uh, cool, cool. Yeah, I actually took a probability class in college mm -hmm. that I ultimately uh, withdrew from because after that midterm, I was like, <laughs> ain't no way I'm gonna pass this class and I'm not gonna leave that mark on my transcript. So let me just drop it right now while I have a chance. Right, right. And try and something we'll else, right? That's <laughs> oh. the cool part of, about college. Like you could be like, you know what? It's it's in my best interest to withdraw this one right here. <laughs> For real. That withdrawal option is powerful when you yes, use it, it the right way. When you use it the right way. <laughs> yes. Don't overdo it now because that goes against you. Right. All right. All right. Let's shift back to the music. So let's say you're on a stranded island. Mm -hmm. You have a radio, CD player, whatever, right? Okay. You have three albums with you on this island. What are going to be the titles of those three albums? That could be any genre. You know, when I think about this question, I'm not thinking about music that will necessarily, that I would necessarily listen to every day. Right, but in that predicament, sure, I need some music that's gonna keep my mind right. <laughs> All right, I need some music that's going to, you know, jog my thoughts, but at the same time keep me level. So, I'm going with, um, I'm going with Sunday Service Choir. Kanye, or oh, yes. sorry, Yay. I'm sorry, yay yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. Um, Jesus is born. Uh, that, that's what the uh project was called. I'm gonna go with yeah. that one. Uh when I listen to that, it's soothing, um, it is encouraging, I'm inspired, I feel grounded. So that would be needed if I was stranded on an island. Yes, I will go with that one. I would also go with Lauren Hill Unplugged. Ooh, great album. Yes, yes. Mm. And I would go with Nas Illmatic. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, those last two, particular, just classic mm -hmm. out. Classic out. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Yeah. I was actually watching his um, interview on. Uh, I think it was Noriega's podcast, Drink Drink Champs. Okay. So I, watched, yeah. I watched that whole interview the other day, and 
yeah, he's an interesting person. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's definitely someone you cannot predict what's next. <laughs> but the most brilliant people tend to have that quirky mindset, so I'm not even mad at it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a genius in his own right. Yes. All right. Um, last question. If you can invite three influential figures, dead or alive, to dinner, who mm-hmm. would they be? Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Madam CJ Walker. Um, because she did what she did a lot of what she did in her time. I'm in that entrepreneur space as a black woman similar to her at this time and if she could do that back then and become a millionaire there's no excuse that's how i look at it for me there's no excuse so i would i would like to have that conversation with her and just figure out her mindset how she navigated through the obstacles and uh, was able to persevere what, the, what type of mindset she had to have. So that's one. Malcolm X, because he didn't mind being different at all. He he stood on who he was, regardless of the opposition. Um, Ruby Bridges, she's still alive. So yeah, she I would, um, She's one person that she lived through a certain window of time, was historical, and she's still alive. I mean, she's alive to see the aftermath of what came, you know, from that period of struggle with African-Americans. So, you know, just to be able to talk to her and see what she thinks at this point in time or advice she could provide, I'm sure it would be helpful. Yeah, those are my three. Wow. Powerful table right there. Powerful table. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Kaziah, thank you so much for coming on the you know, chop it up with a brother. You know, it's been a good conversation. Yeah, I appreciate um, the invite. Yes. But before you go, please let people know how they can connect with you on social media and also share um, the website uh, for uh, Lyrical Math, uh, JFN Studios, all that good stuff. Okay, I'm putting it in the uh, chat box. All right, cool. All right, so yeah, y'all can um check out Kazaya and James and Jafin Studios at uh popupmathclass.com. Um you could also lyricalmath.com as well, and then on Instagram, Lyrical Math, Facebook, same thing, Lyrical Math. Um, are y'all on Twitter as well? Yes. Yes. All right. Same handle. Oh no, Twitter no, no. All right. I'm I'm on Twitter as Mrs. Kaziah Finney, but we don't have our uh, lyrical math there yet. All right. So it's coming. Oh, James said yes, we do. Yes, we do. So we can go to Twitter as well. My apologies. <laughs> oh, it's all good. This is why. This is why mm-hmm. y'all team, right? There it is. That's what's up. But thank you so much and. You know, continue with the the dope work, and yeah, uh, hopefully we'll connect again in the future. Yeah, yeah definitely. I look forward to it. Thank you so yeah. much for inviting me on. Appreciate the support. Right. 
For sure. All right. You have a good rest of the day. You too. Uh, thank you. Peace. All right, y'all. So we're about to end another fantastic episode of Radical Math Talk. And as I always tell y'all, I'm wishing you all a good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at Identity Talk for numeral four educators.com i'll say it one more time identity talk for educators.com thank you and have a great day